Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. Today I'm speaking with Luke Coutinho, a holistic lifestyle coach based in India and working with clients all over the world. You are about to get such a shot of positive, evidence-based, well-informed, uplifting positivity. I'm so excited for what you are about to hear. Luke is co-author of the 2020 book, The Dry Fasting Miracle. So we talk all about that, particularly apt during Ramadan. He's a passionate advocate of using balanced nutrition, adequate exercise, quality sleep, and emotional detox to heal from just about everything that ails us. There's no room for extremes here. And I think what you'll find him saying makes a lot of sense, but also resonates deeply. It's all about balance. Hope you enjoy our interview. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm very, very good. Um, okay. So first of all, I want to ask you how you made it into the, like how you made nutrition and holistic healing and all of that, your life, your life's work. Okay, great. So it started a couple of years ago. I studied nutrition. I studied integrative and lifestyle medicine as well. And I was trying to figure out how do I fit into this world? There's so much of competition in the medical world, in the nutrition world. And I was with IBM for about 10 years. And as I grew up the corporate ladder, I started to recognize that, you know, the lives of the VPs and CEOs, a lot of the health was deteriorating. And one day I heard, you know, a very, very top, you know, position in the company say that, hey, my back hurts so much. I can't even enjoy a first class seat you know, on my flight to New York. And I was like, this shouldn't be how life, I mean, this should, this isn't how life should be. You know, I mean, we're earning money. You're like, you know, the owner of a massive company, but your health isn't allowing you to even enjoy your life. And that's when I started to figure that we have doctors, we have nutritionists, we have personal trainers, we have superfoods, we have yoga therapists, everything. What's going wrong? Why is India the leading country when it comes to diabetes, cancer, and cardiovascular? You know, when we have so much, and then I started to look into this deeply and I realized lifestyle. Although we have all of this, people don't change their lifestyle. They're popping pills to treat the symptom, but they're not addressing the root cause of the problem. Or people are going too deep into spirituality, but they're not looking at the physical part of their body. So I figured that, you know, everything in the human body is fragmented. It's like broken to pieces. Someone's trying to treat the heart separately, the liver, the kidney, mental health. So I said, I want to put it together. I don't want to be the person treating the symptom. I want to be helping people change their life at a root cause level. And so I further studied deep cellular nutrition, advanced integrative and lifestyle medicine. And here I am today handling cancer patients around the world, a lovely clientele in Dubai as well. And it's, it's worked for me just fine, getting people to address their root cause and treat lifestyle. Well, you mentioned, you know, um, the plane and the, the aches and pains. And do you think people are just disconnected from their bodies? Because 
so many people can just carry on for so long. And it's, I hear people speaking and it seems like it's just acceptable to have, oh, you know, just my bloating or or just my IBS or like just my, my back or I, my knees, it's almost like a badge of honor to have these sort of ailments. Um, But these are connected to the further illnesses that we experience. Can you just sort of explain that? Yeah, I want to roll back to that beautiful word that you use, disconnected. That's where the problems start. You know, most people today are disconnected from their spirit. When I say spirit, I'm not talking about, you know, a religious, deep, airy-fairy kind of thing. We are, we're all spiritual beings. All of us are. Irrespective of religion, who we are, position, power, we have a spirit. When we're disconnected because we're constantly connected with the outside world, what happens is the voice within us, all of us have a gut instinct. Some of us call it intuition. Some of us call it a gut instinct. It's always speaking to us. So if I have that pain today, my body's gently telling me that, hey, I'm giving you a little warning. Listen, if you take care of it right now, okay, it doesn't have to become a bigger pain or it doesn't have to become a bigger problem. But we're not listening to it because we've kind of glorified. Everyone is like, oh, yeah, even I have this pain. I pop this pill. You know, I have a shrink on speed dial. It's like society talk today. People have glorified this. Burnout is glorified. Hustling is glorified. You know, so so we try. It's a big problem because then people accept it. Acceptance is a beautiful thing, but not accepting things that we can change. We accept things that we cannot change. You know, things that are out of control, like we can't change how the weather is going to be. We can't change a particular behavior sometimes of a person. You've got to accept or let go. But when we start to accept everything, then we don't change. And we ignore these little warnings, these little gentle whispers that the body is, act. you know, I always say a symptom isn't a bad thing. A symptom is your body doing the right thing at the right time. It's telling you. And if you listen to it, great. If you don't listen to it, it becomes something bigger. Well, you said those whispers, and I've heard that term before. Uh, the body whispers before it screams, it knocks on the door before it bangs down the door. When you've worked with some people who have developed cancer and have developed autoimmune and, and more serious, do they have those stories of like, they had the little sort of whispers before? Absolutely. And it's unfortunate that when we sit down to break it down with our patients who have cancer or autoimmune, you know, a lot of them, when we're, when we're talking, they say, Luke, I knew it was happening in my body. Like I knew when this happened. A lot of people are like, I know exactly when my cancer started growing in my body, when they were in a deep, you know, uh, in a position in life where they were deeply rooted emotions, they were going through stress, sleep deprivation, because all of us, you know, life is beautiful when we're able to feel good. The physiological state of the human mind and body is to feel good. So when we're not feeling good, the body is out of homeostasis, which means we're in disharmony. You know, so people know it. A lot of people mindfully, when they're trying to break down their disease, they're like, yeah, I can tell you exactly, Luke, when my problem started. And this is only by introspection. You know, we want them to introspect because when they say, yeah, I think this was it, then we know that besides chemotherapy, radiation, nutrition, we also got to work on this emotional baggage. We also got to work on your sleep deprivation. We got to also work on your activity. Maybe you were overtraining, you were undertraining. So, yep, all of this comes out and, and it's important for it to come out in our prognosis because it's not just about the medication and the nutrition. It's about what else you've got to work on if you want to really heal and recover completely. Uh, one of the books I read years ago when someone in my family um, was diagnosed with cancer was anti-cancer. Um, and it's written by a neurologist who, who developed a brain tumor when he was actually just doing research with his um, partner in medical school and found out he had a brain tumor and he wrote this book, but he talked about whenever anyone has cancer, you always have to look at the, you know, you have the big 
the, the average time that people live with that cancer. And then you look at the long end of the tail and in that you have to look at what those people who lived for a long time are all doing. And what they're doing is sort of what you just described, which is like changing the way they think, changing the way they live. But what you're asking people to do is to do it before the horrible situation happens. So how do you, how do you, like, if you know it's not right, but you can't stop, how do you help people do that? It's true practice. There is no magic pill. Anything we want to achieve in life happens with practice. And practice includes us failing. Like the best pianist in the world got great by, by practicing. So did the artist, so did you at what you do. We practice. We become subject matter experts at what we do, or we're good at a game or a sport because we constantly do it. And our subconscious mind supports any action on repetition, the good and the bad. So there's always the starting point, and it's never too late, never too late. I have a patient at 92 years old who's battling cancer for the fifth time and is in remission. I mean, for me, these are stories of hope and beauty and, you know, while destiny, we can't control destiny. We don't understand it. So we leave it in the dark side of the room because we have no control. And it doesn't mean if, you know, everyone says, oh, I'm destined to die. It's my karma. Well, if you've chosen that, you know, then that's going to be your path. But what is controllable? What is in your control? And so that's what we try to teach people. And it's fortunate when people, you know, adopt this before or they come to us when they have a cancer or even after that, there's always time to change. The human body and mind is resilient. But what we're trying to educate people on is because like you rightly said, I love the point that you brought up about people glorifying this. We've got to stop doing this because you're, 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 you're dampening the clues that your body is giving you. I have a simple question for everyone. Before you sleep at night, just ask yourself, do I feel good? irrespective of your struggles, irrespective of how your day was, if you can still feel good, that is a measure of great health. But every single day, because feeling good isn't about a life without struggles. It isn't about no fights in your relationship or failure. It's about despite everything, I'm able to feel good. That's true gratitude, because I can focus on the things that are going well for me. Because even gratitude is overrated today. It's hyped. Everyone's got a journal and a pen and they're writing down stuff. I'm saying don't write it. Feel it. Okay. Feel yeah. it. It's kind of warmth come into your heart when you feel like, wow. Yeah. And that is a feeling that is magical at a hormonal level. At a hormonal level. Everything is hormone, chemical messengers. So if you can't feel it, you can have a gratitude book with everything written in, but you still don't feel good. So is that practice even doing you any good right now? No. Or do you have to change the way that you do the practice? Like meditation. Oh, I meditated for an hour. But how are you allowing what you learned in that hour to slip into your day when you're confronted with struggles, with negativity or with positivity? Are you there in the moment, you know, to, to, to be that particular person, like, you know, respond rather than react, be grateful in the moment and stuff. So, yeah, it comes down to mindfulness. And that's why we teach people today in the paradigm of health, like integrative and lifestyle medicine has a paradigm. Yeah. There's nutrition, deep cellular, there's exercise, there's sleep, there's emotional wellness and spirit. So if I have to put two things at the top of the paradigm, it is sleep and emotional wellness. Because if these two are messed up, it changes the way you eat. It changes the way you exercise. You choose not to or you choose to overdo it. So, you know, everything starts up here and translates into the physical self. And that's why you've got to put it all together and grow in each of these elements. Well, you said something earlier about too much. You mentioned too much spiritual, too much working out. Do you think that many people are having a problem with balance to they're focusing too much Absolutely. on maybe the easy thing for them to do what's easy for them to do. Can you go, can you talk no. a little bit about that? 
Sure. Easy and extremes as well. That's become a big problem today. If you put, people want to put themselves into extreme buckets, I only do this. I don't do that. Yeah. I only believe, look at this. I won't do that. The no fat movement of no one should masturbate. No one should eat this. No one should eat that. Be all or nothing. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work. I mean, we are products of nature. Nature is balance. While there is imbalance and flaws in nature, it also exists in human beings. So while people are looking for instant gratification and quick fixes and they waste a lifetime never finding out that it takes patience and work and effort and smart sacrifice and everything else. You have the other group where people are punishing themselves. Oh, I ate a Snicker bar. Now, a Snicker bar is 300 calories. I must burn 300 calories. They're punishing their bodies. Mentally, physically, they think that, oh, to cover up the guilt in my life, I should pray more. I should be more spiritual. But then they don't understand that the essence of spirituality speaks also about forgiveness. Be gentle on your stuff. You forgive people, you are forgiven as well. And that's why it's a pay it forward kind of concept. It's effortlessness in spirituality. Mm-hmm. If I've done something wrong, I'm, I want forgiveness, but I've not forgiven 10 people in my life. It's not going to come to me. Reading the scriptures, getting deeper into spiritual paths isn't going to help me. And that's when it becomes a fad. People are well-read, they follow paths, they do seva, but they can't change what's happening in their life. Spiritual, spirituality is trying to teach you, go into your own life. How are you treating your family, your parents, your partner, that friend, you know, that, you know, live the experience of spirituality. People just think it's about the books. And that's when I say it's become a fad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I noticed this a lot. Okay. Like it's hard to do this though, because it takes a lot of inner strength to be an individual when... <laughs> say you go to your gym and then they, they want you to go five days a week. So, you know, and everyone else there is going five days a week and everyone's more fit than you or, you know, like religion is the whole, another thing, whatever religion you are, you can always do more of that religion. How do you, how do you help people stay true to themselves so that they can dip into these things as much as they need to, to be optimally themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I I like this question. Uh, I've enjoyed all your questions, by the way. (laughs) So, uh, you know, as human beings, we're already our authentic self, but we move further away from our truth when we start comparing ourselves. So comparison, you know, we don't have to try to be ourselves. We're already ourselves until we start comparing. So I am myself, I'm connected. But the moment I start comparing my body, my mind, what I have, my partner, my parents, my childhood with everyone else, the disconnection starts. And now you're trying to, or you're desiring to be many things. And, you know, so in a form, the truest form of gratitude is first respect and love for yourself. Mm. The moment I want to be someone else, I'm rejecting myself. I'm rejecting my own body when I say, oh, I want the body of someone else. I'm rejecting myself. It's ingratitude. We've got to be grateful for what we're given. Now, of course, I can change in life. I want to get better at something. I can do that. But when I'm operating from an intention of comparison, that just brings more and more misery in my life. And today I deal with people who got the body they want and they're still unhappy (laughs) because they found someone else now who looks better than them. And it never ends. Or it's like the billionaire who is never happy with their money because there's someone else richer than them. So they don't know how to enjoy what they have. They're disconnected. And that's why they're miserable, empty, even though some of them have the greatest bodies, money, everything, but they can't enjoy what they have. Mm -hmm. So yes, we teach people the number one, stop comparing. Because I can lie to you and say, oh, be spiritual, meditate, do this, maintain self-love journals, all of that. It's useless if you're disconnected. So first connect by 
stop compare. Now I can admire someone. Wow, that's a great body. Oh, I would look nice with a little more muscle. Good action plan. Go to the gym and work out. I'm not going to get that body by sitting at home and envying someone's body or wishing. I got to put in the work. Like a lot of people in social media are just wishing that everything changes, but very few want to take that right action. So comparison is basically why social media is bad for so many people because they don't know how to handle it. It destroys their life. They're miserable. They see therapists all the time because the problem is comparison. So we teach them, number one, what do you like about yourself? What do you not like about yourself? That's okay too. Okay, I don't like this. Now, do I want to improve this? Mm -hmm. Okay, these are the three actions. Let's start doing that with consistency because comparison is not going to give you those results. Okay, and on the macro, I mean, like you do sort of focus on, you have a lot of people with cancer that you help. Do you, do you have an opinion about why cancer is just so prevalent and on these autoimmune disorders? Yes, the way we're living can actually create that disease in our body. But what about other factors? What else is playing into this? Do you feel? Okay. So see, cancer is a multifactorial disease. Many things contribute towards it. You know, no one can say that air pollution is causing cancer because we all breathe the same air. We should all have cancer. No one can say that pesticides in your food cause cancer. Yes, they play a role, but they don't cause cancer alone because we're all practically eating the same food, drinking the same water. Everyone has stress. Okay. Stress doesn't cause cancer, but it plays a massive role in everything together. So if I'm really stressed out, chronically stressed, I have a low immune system. Now, my immune system can't manage the pesticides coming in through food or the carcinogens coming in through my air. So now that builds an overload on the body. Also, we should never forget that cancer is an inflammatory disease. What does that mean? It's caused by excessive inflammation in the body. And that's where lifestyle, most diseases, 95% of the diseases are inflammatory, created by excess inflammation. Your own immune system doesn't know when to shut down or stop inflammation. Now, where does that inflammation come from? everything, the kind of food that we eat, the chunk, the excessive sugar, not sugar, the excessive sugar, okay? Sleep deprivation, huge, 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 huge. Sleep deprivation and cancer are directly connected. And again, if you're chronically stressed, you can't sleep. Now, because you can't sleep, you can see low immunity, hormonal imbalance. So you have hormonally driven breast cancers, endometriosis, autoimmune conditions. So you, you can see the picture, everything is linked deeply rooted emotional distress, huge, huge, because you're chronically people stuck in a toxic relationship. You're 24 by seven stress, which means cortisol, adrenaline is up, progesterone is low, estrogen is up. All your communicators, your hormones are driving the wrong communication, wrong communication, wrong action in the human body, upregulation, downregulation of genes. The genes that should be switched off are turned on. The ones that should be turned on are switched off. So you see, we have an internal environment within us and we have an external environment around us. Both of them have everything to do with whether we'll fall sick, recover quickly, get a cancer, go into remission, autoimmune condition. In autoimmune conditions, it's nothing. The root cause is an, in, in, an immune system that is erratic. It's attacking you. Mm-hmm. Instead of protecting you, it's attacking you. Now, what's triggered off that immune system? A particular food that you cannot digest. Maybe you're celiac, maybe you're lactose intolerant. It's stress. Your body's constantly stressed. Now, when you're constantly stressed, your immune system is supposed to be on overdrive to protect you, but it's also supposed to switch off at some point. But because you're constantly stressed, 
So people with vitiligo, eczema, psoriasis, arthritis, when you see, when you're stressed, they'll have all their flare-ups. Mm-hmm. When they're relaxed or they're on a holiday, they say, hey, look, I don't have any flare-ups. Why? The environment has changed. Mm-hmm. So these are all the little things that are connected. And then, of course, the belief in the world. That, oh, when you get cancer, it's a death sentence. I'm going to suffer, all of that. You believe that, that's what's going to happen. But today you have fourth stage patients who were given two weeks to live. They're living for 15 years and there are millions of these people. And you have a stage zero cancer case, which is very, very easy to handle. And they suffer incredibly because they've already believed that I have cancer and this is how my life is going to be. So the human mind plays a huge role in prevention and healing as well. And what I'm hearing from you and what's got, gets lost in a lot of the conversation that's very medically driven, the human body is like an absolute miracle, right? Like it's designed to help adapt to deal with external stressors. That's what I'm getting from you. And if we get, get out of the way, if we support ourselves, we can deal with because it's very common to be like the pollution and the pesticides and the toxins and the whatever. But what I'm hearing from you is if you, if you figure out what's bothering you, you can actually get around that stuff. Is that? Absolutely. Of- Absolutely. If we break it down, we should all be dead right now with the <laughs> amount of carcinogens and the pesticides and food. You see, we put too much of limelight in. Let me move you back into India right now where we handle the less privileged. These are people below poverty line. They probably won't have almonds and pumpkin seeds or anywhere close to even one of the superfoods we have. Most of their health besides malnutrition is way better than people in metropolitan cities. Simplicity. But what else does that show us? The body's resilient. Every second of the day and night, our body is trying to protect us, keep us in survival mode. That's the job of the body. And when we don't respect this, you know, it's taken away. Like any gift that you're given, we're gifts of life. Any gift that you're given, if you don't accept it or you keep rejecting it, you stop. That gift is taken away. You know, it's always, including our health, it's a gift. All of us are gifts. And like you said, we're miracles. I ask everyone to reflect on this when they say, look, the miracle of the body. I can speak on ours. When you just look at anatomy, you know, people don't even understand how the intelligence of the body works. But figure this out. When all of us on this call, when we were just little eggs, okay, in the womb, For nine months, zero to nine months, it is only nature's intelligence. There is no interference from mankind. Mm. The birth of that little egg into a child to delivery is only the intelligence of nature. There is no intervention. We can't even intervene if we want to. Those nine months is a reminder of the intelligence that exists in us today. And we've come in the way. Of course, we need doctors. We We need medicine. I mean, I have doctors on my own team. I work with doctors. We need all of that. But don't try to compromise the intelligence of the human body. All we need to do, health is very simple. Give your body, mind, heart, the the platform it needs to run its own intelligence. Don't interfere with it. Don't interfere with the fundamentals. Keep the fundamentals going. The complication is later. If the fundamentals are working, I'm giving, what does my body need? Air, oxygen. Am I breathing the right way? Most people listening to this right now are not breathing to their full capacity. And now you probably... I Take a deep breath, and that's how you should be breathing. <laughs> so the fundamentals first, then the complication. But in today's world, everyone wants the complication. Oh, should I be this? Should I eat that? Should I count my calories? You're never going to be smarter than your body. Your body will tell you when you've overeaten. It'll tell you when you're starving. It'll tell you when you're overtraining. It'll tell you, it'll tell you when you're sleep deprived. You don't need a nutritionist to tell you any of that, or a doctor, or anyone. But when we interfere with the intelligence of the body, that's when we have all the problems. 
that's when we have all the problems. So sometimes that's why we say flow. Okay, don't, I mean, don't ignore stuff, but also understand there is an intelligence working for you all the time. Till your last breath, the intelligence is still trying to work for you. So create the environment inside and outside, harness the intelligence of your body because external stuff cannot work, cannot work. Spirituality cannot work for us if our being is not connected to us. It's the same thing with medicine, nutrition, and everything else. Okay. So I think you're wearing a tracker on your wrist, right? You're wearing some kind of tracker there. What is it? Yeah. So what is, where does all that fit in? Because this obsession with measuring everything, I sometimes worry that people are um, discounting their own internal uh, knowing to an external tracking system. Like how do you, and and those, those, all those systems are great. I mean, so how do you balance those two things? Do you think people can lose, do you think people can lose their own innate like wisdom and knowledge about how their body works if they're tracking too much? Is it again a balanced thing? Yeah. So I mean, uh, the problem is never the tracker. The problem is the person behind it. Yeah. If you're so dependent on your tracker, to tell you everything. So I wear it for steps. It's a great benchmark for me. Ten thousand steps. There's no magic. It's just the benchmark that hey, Luke, you've been active over and above your workout. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. I don't go into sleep and all of that stuff because most people are, oh, you know, I, my, my watch told me I didn't sleep well tonight. I said, tell me, when you woke up in the morning, how did you feel? Okay, and then I felt rested. So I said, that's it. You got enough of sleep. So we should never let data and all these gadgets dampen our intuition. At the end of the day, I know how I want to feel. Okay, it may be an indicator for certain things, but people are like, oh, this was my deepest sleep. That was like, no, you just get to sleep, wake up. There's one question you need to ask. Am I rested? Or do I feel sleep deprived? Do I need coffee to start my day because I'm so, so sleep deprived? Means you're sleep deprived. The data on the watch means nothing. It can be an indicator, but we never get locked into it. And this is an example of extremes again. People have so many different gadgets and yet they're unhealthy. The data isn't really bringing any change into them. So we have to understand the only accurate voice data point comes from within for that we got to be mindful and connected and you are getting the best data on the world i try tracking and i have you know i have that inner perfectionist that's a real drill master and i stopped weighing myself regularly years ago because i realized that and then what twice i've tried a tracker and twice it became like me not doing well enough and the execution of exercise and all the other stuff and i i feel that way but i know they work a lot really well for other people so yeah. Like anything, I guess it's just keeping yourself. Um, yeah. We shouldn't become a slave to it. We shouldn't become a slave to all these things. It shouldn't enslave us. It's yeah. great. Looks great too, but that's about it. You should know why you have these things. Never become a slave to any of these things at all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about fasting. Cause we're in Ramadan and you've written a book called the dry fasting miracle with you wrote, which we wrote with Sheikh Abdulaziz bin Ali Rashid Al Nuwaymi, also known as the green chick. And, um, I'm just curious, dry fasting. <laughs> I mean, whenever I hear dry fasting, it just sounds absolutely horrible to me. I just think about a time that I had to get, uh, I had a minor surgery and I had to dry fast and I cried. I cried. Oh. And I know there's people <laughs> all around us dry fasting all throughout this month. And it always makes me feel terrible. Cause I remember the time that I, a grown woman <laughs> was crying because she couldn't <laughs> eat, drink water. So what, what the miracle, why the miracle? Yeah, you know, dry fasting again, and, and, and I like that you honestly shared what your experience was. You were driven by perception. Dry fasting is actually easier 
then normal fasting with just water. And you got to try it because dry, it sounds negative. Oh, no water, no food, because we've, we've grown up to know that you got to hydrate yourself and eat and all of that stuff. So that's form. That's a, that's a mindset that we have. So when your doctor told you to do that, it was resistance at every level. But right now, there are millions around us dry fasting, working, even working physical labor jobs in that state. It's a state of mind. It's driven by faith. Why is it a miracle? Because a lot of us today are either drinking too much water, eating too much at the wrong times. So when we give a break to the entire body at every level, spiritual, physical, emotional, magic happens in the body. And today there's more and more science proving this. I mean, that's why certain hospitals in the U.S. also have fasting wards where terminally ill patients are supervising the fasting of over three, five, nine days. It's wrong when people say fasting will take away your cancer. I mean, we've seen it work brilliantly. But again, it's multifactorial. One, when the disease is multifactorial, one thing can't work. But it plays a massive role. If I want more energy for healing, but that energy is going through constant digestion of my food because I'm eating and snacking all the time, I'm depriving my body of energy that can go towards healing. So fasting is therapeutic. And I think the more, you know, when we fast and start off with eight hours, eight hours, like sunset, stop drinking water, stop eating. And after sunrise, start drinking water and start eating. This will inspire you during the day. You fill up on your 10 to 12 to 14 glasses of water. You're not going to dehydrate. Get day one right. Day two is going to be easier. Day three is going to be a breeze. And the amount of energy that you find in this body coming at every cell, from every cell of your body, finally you'll be doing 15, 16, 17 hours and you will feel, you will feel that what have I done all my life? Just eating so much, drinking so much. And again, it's not for everyone. Sometimes if you're not mentally ready for it, don't do it. Uh, the green shake, his son is five years old. He dry fasts as well because it's, it, it's driven with faith. It's not seen as no food, no what. It's seen as I'm doing this with faith. I'm going to be looked after. I'm going to be looked after. So faith is such a powerful thing. It doesn't have to come from religion alone. It can come from spirituality. It can come from faith in the universe that, hey, I'm looked after. And so if anyone wants to inspire themselves to dry fast for 12 hours, don't think of anything. Just know that you will be looked after. Of course, if you're a kidney patient and you have water restriction, don't do it. It's not for you. But for everyone else, just anything that you want to do in life that you have a fear for, put faith first. That's the only way. You don't need motivation. Motivation is for people who have not yet decided that they really want to achieve their goal. Put faith first that, hey, I am going to be looked after. And know that you own the power that after nine hours, if you're thirsty, you can drink water. No one's stopping you. So know that you have that power to do it. And this also teaches you a lot of self-discipline. So dry fasting, the book talks about medical cases, science, everything in the simplest way possible. And that everybody's unique. You may be able to do it for 12 hours. Today, tomorrow, maybe 18 hours. Today, I can do it for 14. Tomorrow, for 20. Because the human body is constantly dynamically changing. So we can't put ourselves into a box of 16 hours, 8, 17. You know, people love to put themselves in boxes, not understanding that the human body is dynamically changing. So this is the beauty of dry fasting. And, you know, if you've never dry fasted, start off with water. Just have water. And then, you know, or integrate it. So I teach people like start off with six hours of no food and water. If you're thirsty, then start having water, but still continue fasting for food. So you're doing an integrated fast. Six hours of dry, six hours of wet. And tomorrow, maybe you'll increase it. But listen to your body. Fasting is an inner physician that every human being has, but we're not using it. 
It is therapeutic when people want to anti-age, better skin, better hormonal health. The, the number one thing is eat lesser. Don't starve. Eat lesser, which means build a fasting period. Your body will produce magic. And what happens to you just in the first eight hours that you do that? What, what are just some benefits, immediate benefits that are happening within your body? In eight hours, the only benefit you're really going to get is giving a break to your digestive system. So you're going to allow the acids to settle, your digestive enzymes, your pancreas to relax, which is also great for you. Okay, inflammation coming down, the immune system getting well-trained and stronger will happen 16 to 17 to 18 hours. Autophagy will hit in after 16 to 18 hours. It depends on everybody. That's where the magic happens. The removal of dead cells from your body, repair of things and stuff, you know, all of that. 24 hours, of course, you're giving your body a lot more, you know, time to heal. It's different for everyone. So when people like for extreme breakdown of tumors, we may go into 48 hours, sometimes 72 hours. And it's incredible how the body starts to, you know, break down tumors for more energy, remove dead cells. The immune system starts to get smarter. But again, this is all supervised, all supervised the right way because you don't want your vitals or your pressure falling or your blood sugar levels going too low. So it's on when you're doing a longer fasted supervision. But for all of us, I, I like to teach people through self-realization. What does that mean? It sounds great, but why don't you do it and see how you feel? Then I have a self-realization that, wow, I did 18 hours and I feel incredible. Now you don't have to be motivated because you're inspired. So we just got to start off by trying. What about in the woman's health sphere? There's a lot of debate over this. And a lot of people will pipe up and say fasting can be very tricky for women. Is there something that women have to be more careful, do you think, than men when they're approaching this because of their hormones? Yeah. Absolutely. See, everyone has to be assessed for this. Now, someone's going through adrenal fatigue. Okay. Oh, that's a big hormonal problem that's linked to PCOS and thyroid and all of that stuff. Fasting may not be the best thing for you, but you can still reduce your overall calories. I think where people go wrong, fasting is therapeutic, honestly, for everyone, unless you have a specific instruction to eat at a particular time. But people don't know how to draw the line between fasting and starving. So they fast for 12 to 14 hours and then they realize that, wow, I fast and now it's time to eat. Maybe I'll eat a little less so my body will lose that little fat. They go into starvation mode. When you're fasting, you're fasting. When you're eating, you're in the building phase. Your body has an expectation of nutrients and energy. So now if you deprive it, the body goes into stress mode because it needs food and energy, but you're not giving it. And that's when you have a bigger hormonal balance. So for women, it's also great. Start off with 12 hours. You can't go wrong with the circadian rhythm of fasting, which means sunset, stop eating. Only eat after sunrise. This is in every religion. And it's beautiful because it's connected with the science of the human body. We don't have the receptors to break down food late at night. Our blood sugar levels go all over the place when we eat late. We all know that. Every diabetologist knows that. So if we can stop eating with sunset or maybe an hour after sunset and then only eat our first meal after sunrise, even that is brilliant. It's a brilliant start for all of us. Okay. That's great. I love, I love it. Now I, I love water, so I'm going to work on the dry part. Um, <laughs> I have a wacky question for you. Something we've been discussing at live healthy and we're working on a story about it. Uh, it's about how, and this is a part of Islam is that you shouldn't drink water or drink standing up or eat standing up. Can you, is that, are we uh, uh, talking crazy? There's, we're speaking to a, a functional integrative physician who goes deep into the science of it. And there is 
uh, also a religious aspect to this, I think across a number of religions. So can you just kind of, because I drink water standing up all the time, because I'm like, oh, I just need to get some in and I'm going out the door and I catch myself eating standing up, you know, so do you have any opinions? (laughs) Absolutely. The science is very simple. Okay, so if we look at sports, sports athletes and sportsmen, you notice them on the football field or whatever drinking water, but they'll never be gulping it. They'll take a small sip, wet their mouth to hydrate because it will interfere with athletic performance. So the science is very simple. When we sit, okay, we drink water. We're in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is meant to digest and rest. When I'm standing up, I'm more in the sympathetic. I'm moving. Okay, I'm moving from one thing to another. I'm walking and stuff like that. So yeah, to be practical, okay, because we can't always sip and we want to have a sip of water. But if you're standing, make sure it's a small sip. It's not a gulp. It's not a chug of water. Same thing with eating. When we eat, there's a certain position. So whether we sit on the floor and eat or we sit, you know, on a chair and eat, you know, there is a certain amount of pressure on our pancreas in this position to stimulate digestive enzymes. Mm. And plus when I'm eating standing, I'm in the sympathetic nervous system. It's not digest, it's fight and flight. So, you know, to digest better, to, you know, extract hydration better out into all of our cells, a sitting position is always necessary for eating and drinking and not when we're standing. So the science is very simple. We have two nervous systems. Okay, now fight and flight will stimulate me to move. So that's why I also tell people, if you're stressed out, don't eat. better off not eating because you're not in the system to digest food that's why you have indigestion and then you have acidity and a lot of flatulence you've not broken down your food because you're not in the system to break down food calm down and then eat otherwise don't eat if you're stressed out at all so yes it does make sense to sit down and drink and eat if you're standing just wet small really small sips if you gulp down it is going to create a lot of problems now a lot of you would say it doesn't cause a problem for me luke yeah, but you could get more efficient with digestion and assimilation if you sit. So there's always a better way. Okay. What's the number one question you get from people? <laughs> how to lose weight? How do I get rid of belly fat? I think those are the most you know, common questions. And from a cancer aspect, Luke, how do I prevent cancer? Is my mother going to die? She got cancer. I think these are the most common questions that I get. And of late, I don't know why, but I've been getting questions. Luke, what's your opinion on Will slapping Chris and Chris not saying anything? Do you have an opinion and stuff like that? And for them, I say, hey, take an appointment because if you want to, if you want my time for that, you're going to have to pay for that time. You know, so that's, that's how a, it is. Because that's a complicated <laughs> answer. That's not a simple, what went no, on. I have a simple answer for everyone on that. There was a slap and a joke. That's it. Move on with life. There was an apology. There, it, it's over. It's over. Move on. Life doesn't stop for everyone else. Just move on. Everyone judging it. I mean, if they look into their lives, I mean, you have so much to work on and fix yourself rather than judging what's happened. You know, I mean, no one's perfect. I think it's a beautiful example of no one's perfect. But the way it was handled, okay, there was an apology. There was no reaction. I think it's a beautiful example that we can take from that even the whoever we can all break. We're all flawed in some way, but we move on with life, with acceptance. So yeah, that's it. I love it. Yeah. It's really said a lot about, more about us than what happened on that stage for sure. That, and that's advice for everyone in every situation. That's great. Thank you so much, Luke, for speaking to us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I enjoyed this. Take care. That's it for this week. 
If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.